Place your finger on the tree in the middle of the sky and watch the gold drop through the floor. Take a step into space by closing your eyes and watch Solomon light the moon once more. When the polish on your kickers wears off in a dream, you're eating fruit where the big bad wolf cannot see. If you catch yourself dressed two centuries old, bring that feather back with you so the story will hold. A fiddle of energy in the middle of trance, each lip that blows a dance knows it is the last chance to poetically pray to this genetic grace and hypothetically save this empathetic race of humanoid voids and black hole brains. Psychotronic harmonic vocals to smack the veins, playing ping pongs with gongs to soundtrack your name. So the survivors of the flood can remember your pain. We can blast off to Eden if you get on this plane and sell our fucks to the world that pays a buck for shame. Theoretically, we conquered, then we saw, then we came. So take your finger off the tree or eat the apple, Kane. I'm Heath Armstrong. And this is Never Stop Peaking. It's depressing like a dimple on your butt. If you behave, you'll get a nickel you can spend on stuff And in time, you'll get a dime if you impress your boss So you can buy some more stuff just to numb your thoughts You've been a space-driven higgity hunk of me since birth Flying through the universe on a rock called Earth Composed of stardust with an emotional gut While you letting conformity slam you up the butt You're not one fucks, two fucks, red fucks, blue fucks You can play duck hunt and wait around for luck Or you can rent a big truck and drive your vision Build a palace to the moon your schmuck friends piss their pants Get up and dance, rocket ship that booty Take a chance for your freedom, miggity milk that booby Cause when the fear attacks and tries to crack What you're thinking, fuck no, you'll never stop peeking Yo <laughs> hey you guys what up everybody um this is a special episode and ever since moving my well this is kind of an interesting dynamic because this conversation was recorded before I did something big and I want to share post whatever that big thing was with you right now and so when you're listening to the interview, you can understand what happened after that, because I think it's kind of kind of crazy. But ever since moving my my lanky pale ass to the Pacific Northwest or the PNW, I've fallen deeply in love with the uh, Cascade Volcano Range. And there is something so divine about the energy surrounding these volcanoes. Uh, they sit completely alone on their lava thrones. They explode through Earth's surface into the sky for all of our human eyes to lock onto for landmarks, for direction, and most notably, a humbling reminder of nature's beauty and power. Now, I grew up in Appalachia, so I'm naturally drawn to the excitement of mountains, lakes, wilderness, but I've never experienced such a scale of mountains up to this point moving here. And I also didn't realize that I was soon to slip into an addiction of climbing up these motherfuckers. Mount Crushmore, baby. So there is something so angelic and so gratifying about being on the summit of a mountain covered in glaciers and snowfields at sunrise, especially if the climb starts at midnight and you need ice axes and crampons to help you get to the top to taste life's most divine milk from the volcano's luscious nipple, baby. Mount Hood 
or natively known as Y East, which sits just outside of Portland, um, is perhaps the most beautiful of all the Cascades, in my opinion. But Mount Rainier, natively known as Tacoma or Tahoma, there's a couple different names, is the Almighty, is the Queen, is the Beast, is the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms, the Mother of Dragons. In Mount Rainier stands at 14,411 feet, um, and it is the most heavily glaciated peak in the lower 48 states, you know, minus Denali up there, with 26 major glaciers and 36 square miles of permanent snowfields and glaciers combined. So Mount Rainier has a higher topographic prominence than K2, which is the world's second tallest mountain, which means from the base of where you start climbing to the top, it's more direct. Like there's there's just a lot more space to cover. Um, it's not like in the Rockies where you're climbing a 14er, but you're starting up at 11 or whatever. So it's a big difference. Um, for the United States, it's it's a it's a mountain that they use to train lots of uh, Sherpas and things on. They they use it for training for much bigger mountains around the world. I should say maybe that's probably better. Um, so if you aren't familiar with any of my previous work, I am a person who sees incredible value in placing myself in uncomfortable and challenging situations so that I can understand just how magical my mind, my body, and my gut truly are. I see this monstrous mountain and naturally I want to climb to the top of it. (laughs) And I had no idea the type of life-changing experience that that would turn into going into this podcast interview, talking with Sarah Wallace, who has just finished hiking the Pacific Crest Trail which spans from Mexico basically to Canada. And it's something that I have long time wanted to do. And I was really excited to talk to her about her, her experience. Um, But before we get into that, I was fresh off of a few climbs to Mount St. Helens and Mount hood. And I headed up to Ashford, Washington to take a day long mountaineering school and learn certain arrest and rescuing techniques. um, Just in case, you know, one day I might have to use them. And three days later, this is what I wrote in my journal after the summit's attempt. These are the exact words. Certainly an experience I will never forget. Back down and breathing after a wild 30 hours on Mount Rainier. Or should I do this with more like enthusiasm? Like first push up the mirror bank around 10K feet was a battle against the wind and some minor precipitation. Low visibility. We waited out for six hours for a window to make the summit attempt. And that came around 1 a.m. The next 13 hours were fucking crazy, man. (laughs) Conditions continued to change for the worse. And we crossed several ladder bridges over crevasses in the dark. Um, If you don't know what a crevasse is, a crevasse is a gigantic, I mean, in top, in anyone who knows anything about glaciers have been on them, you're going to know this, but if not, you're not. A crevasse is a deep crack. It's a giant fracture found in an ice sheet or a glacier. Um, And it's huge. A lot of them just drop down into the middle of the mountain. Like if you fall on one of those, you're not going to come back out of them. It's, it's a pretty scary fucking thing. And so the next, basically it was pure whiteout conditions, very limited visibility. Um, And we crossed all these, crevasses in the dark because we started at 1 a.m. and it was a negative 11 degrees is in the second day um and it was the first time i've actually ever ever had to crawl basically climb across ladders <laughs> that are laying flat you know on the ground over the crevasse to get across them 
And it's super, super, super scary and sketchy, especially when it's light outside. I didn't think it was as bad when it was dark because you couldn't see how deep the fuckers were. But when it's light, it's like you just shit your pants and you have to deal with it. Um, So as we approached 13,000 feet after we crossed some of these ladders, uh, the sun in the blue sky randomly popped out for about three minutes, which is like tasting heaven, tasting that tit. But then it changed drastically. Um, There was a huge unstable snow shelf on the route that flagged a pretty intense avalanche danger. And a guide came down and was like, "Lo, we got to turn around right now." Um, and then a big Sims—that's my dog. And then a big storm system was rolling in as well, which was kind of just spicing things up. Sachi, no. As we started descending, I anchored in my line after crossing the large crevasse because my guide switched me and put me up front on our rope team because there was a guy that he wasn't so sure about who was kind of shaky on our team and he wanted him in the middle. Um, so imagine crossing this horizontal metal ladder with crampons on, which are basically like metal spikes on your boots over a giant black hole in the glacier in those conditions. And I got across it <laughs> by just shutting my mind down and all the mind strength practices that I use just fucking going, you know? Um, however, the climber behind me, that motherfucker fell straight into the crevasse, which triggered an immediate arrest and anchor position for me and the guide on the other side of the climber. So I basically have to drop. I mean, he's attached to you on a rope. He falls in a hole. If you don't drop and shove your ice axe and and crampons in as fast as you can, he's pulling, you know, his weight from the fall is going to pull you straight down in the crevasse. And if he pulls you and the other guy down, you're all dead. Uh, Never did I think I would actually come into this situation, but I did. We held his weight for a while because we were able to rescue. (laughs) We were able to, to basically anchor and it was kind of fucking crazy i mean for the next 40 minutes my job was to lay there on my face at this temperature with my ice axe in to the glacier my crampons kicked in hard while the guide rigged up a pulley system to pull him out um and we were oh and we were also uh we had a rope team that was behind us that we were able to attach the line to and have them pull uphill to get him out And, of course, he was totally in fucking shock. Perhaps the most intense thing I've experienced myself on a mountain, I can't imagine how much shit was coming out of his pants. And we still had 7,000 more feet to descend in blizzard conditions um, just to get down to the 6K area where we could find um, better weather. And happy to be back and alive. Yes, check. Uh, I learned so much from my amazing team, from the mountaineering experience. I didn't get to summit Rainier, and I'm going to have to go back. But, man, holy fuck. I don't know if any of you guys climb mountains out there do mountaineering, but, like, you never, ever hope to ever have to have somebody fall in a crevasse and do a rescue. Um, but I learned so much from the quiet, peaceful presence of the white magic that hit us on the head with a sledgehammer out there. Um there weren't a lot of opportunities for photos. You can go to my Instagram at Heath Fist Pumps if you want to check some out. I did snap a couple. Uh, and just memento mori. Like, I want this to be a reminder of death. You know, because death, if you look at it in the correct way, it really is your best friend. It's the only constant reminder that you're alive and you have a purpose. It's the only constant reminder that you are one day not going to have the life inside of you physically. It's the reminder of how important it is to take purpose in your fucking life, to quit doing all this shit to numb your mind and just wish yourself through the week and do all the fucking things that actually have value, actually have purpose. 
pull your thoughts away from the, the importance of money and superficial fame and how many people like my, my selfie that shows my ass crack on Instagram and, and focus it on what truly matters. Like, how do we get the fucking plastic out of the ocean? How do we get the bee population back? How do we start influencing people to having higher consciousness, to work on their mind strength, and to ultimately under-fucking-stand that unconditional love is the glue to everything? It's the stitching to everything. It's the hub to everything. It's the water source. It's the sunlight. It's everything. All comes back down to love. And it's not about how much you can love other people or how much you can love what other people are doing. It's about how much you love yourself. Because whatever you can do internally is going to project externally. Your internal world is going to control your external world. If you love yourself unconditionally, you're going to spread unconditional love throughout the world. You're not going to have to go seek it. It's going to be attracted to you and it's going to come right back. Memento mori, baby. So let's get into this episode with Sarah. I'm I'm really excited for this. Obviously, you guys know I'm I'm starting to interview people who are doing things that are kind of like on the road, nomadic. Um, it's stuff that really excites me. And I'm going to be spending a lot of time in my vehicle this summer. And I think having this conversation really, really beefed me up. So Sarah, you can she's kind of known as the darling dirtbag, or her trail name was Vice. And she's from Colorado and she, I just like really fucking vibe with her. I click with her. Like we get each other. It's, it's, it's always an amazing thing to come across somebody like that. She started this, this route. She really had no idea what was going to happen. She got injured early on, which we get into in the story, had to delay her start time for a week. Um, but we get into to her experience, how it changed her life as far as the way she views things how it really did teach her about the importance of the things that are actually important and the things that aren't in life, the community, the beauty of, of the having the right people around you. And then also some tips on like gear, um, some logistical stuff for people out there that are considering doing it or may have done it. But overall, it's just this like beautiful conversation about becoming your higher self through engaging in nature and everybody should do it. So let's get right into this. Love you all. All the show notes, heatharmstrong.com forward slash podcast. Please share this with your family, your friends, your lovers. And if you want to enter to win the giveaway this week, I'm going to give away a sweet ass domination deck. Um, go to heatharmstrong.com forward slash giveaway. You get entered to win this week's giveaway as well as every other week that comes on. You'll have a chance if you enter one time Every single podcast episode, you get a chance to win. So congrats to um, the winner of Lily's manuscript. That was pretty cool. And yeah, love you all. Peace. Even if it was, it would be okay. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> so you're in Colorado, I just saw, right? I am. I just got back yesterday. Amazing. And you got, you were in, where were you before then? You went wandering down in... I was all over the place. Yeah, I Arizona or Utah or something. So I started in Utah, um, went like Moab, Escalante, a couple other places. Then through Arizona, was planning on going to Southern Arizona. I've never been, uh, but they had a pretty crazy heat wave. It got really hot all of a sudden, and so I headed over to Southern California, um, kind of just to be near the PCT, do a little bit of trail magic, um, and then kind of did a big loop back. Where does the PCT hit in Southern Cal? So where I went, because I knew it was hot, um, I, where was I at? I was close to Palm Springs. So there's like um, an I-10 underpass that the trail actually goes under. So I stopped there and then I went up to Wrightwood, which is one of my favorite trail stops. Um, so I did some magic up there and I ended up in Silverwood Lake. It was a whole debacle of trying to find a remote access point um, <laughs> of the, it just because of the crazy winter, all the roads were completely washed out. So I tried three different times to get to a spot that I knew was going to be like a total surprise in between towns. And I just could not make it. So I finally just went to Silverwood Lake and, yeah. and hung out with some hikers there. <laughs> I bet it feels good to just get back. I have so many questions about like your mindset and the experience before and post um, PCT. And I saw that you're, you're getting into, are you doing the Colorado trail starting soon or did you already do that this year? I saw you had it on your Instagram. So the plan is to do that um, end of summer. So probably like, I'm, I'm, I kind of need to just watch snow melt and all of that. And so I'm thinking around early to mid August, depending on what it looks. I mean, we just, we have, we still have so much snow here. Um, yeah, we so I'm going to probably do it as late as I can. Um, not that I hiking on snow is fine, but I, I prefer dry trails. Yeah. <laughs> It takes more stuff you got to carry around. I and yeah. I just climbed Hood and in I was actually planning on doing that in June, but the other mm-hmm. mountains that I had estimated being able to do earlier, you can't get to them because the the roads are yeah. so snowed out. Yeah. Even yeah. though they're easier mountains, it's like if you go down even South Sister and the Sisters down there. I mean that you've been by, they're mm-hmm. still like three or four miles out from the trailhead, and then uh, yeah. Adams. I don't know if you're familiar with Adams. It's, it's, uh, Adams know, is one of my favorite Yeah, spots. I actually went back to Adams after the trail. I like that um, place too. That was, yeah, it was one of my favorite. I, I don't Click know. Click or Pato, I think the real names. I don't remember those. Well, those uh, but are, Adams, was, Adams is the, I think those are the native names for Adams. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, that's a beautiful area. And I just remember, I don't know if it was just like a couple pretty days. Adams, in terms of peaks, is one of the most memorable that I had because you basically hike around kind of the base of it for at least a day, if not more. Yeah, it's a big mountain. It's so pretty, yeah. (laughs) And and the best part about Adams to me is that there's never anybody up there. It's like everybody frocks Uh to Hood and Rainier and St. Helens, but barely anybody ever goes over across the Columbia and into that um, area, which is – which is crazy. Super peaceful. It is crazy. Yeah. There's something yeah. I'm not going to expose it, I guess. I know. We shouldn't talk about it. I, uh, <laughs> after the trail, I needed a few days just to kind of slowly transition off trail. It's really, it was a total culture shock. Um, kind of ending and then being like, well, now what? And so I ended up spending a couple days, uh, yeah, it was a couple days in White Salmon, 
Oh yeah. I um, actually stayed on an alpaca farm, which was really cool. <laughs> and then realized that I was so close to Trout Lake, which is uh, also like a, not a tiny, tiny little town, but for hikers, it's really fun because it's so small that if you stay there, you end up getting to see lots of other hikers that are there. Um, and I, I just, yeah, loved, loved my time there. And so went back up there just to kind of revisit the PCT and I don't know. I couldn't let let it go <laughs> and realized that it was really easy to access. Um, it was like a real short, very pretty tra- side trail to get back on the PCT. So um, I spent the afternoon just heading back up there. It was like a week after I was done, I believe. Um, yeah, the trout, that, that area is beautiful. I go up there in Boulder too a lot. It, it mm-hmm. takes about an hour to get from where I live across the Bridge of the Gods and over into that uh-huh. area. So it's really Tell accessible. Live there. Yeah. <laughs> And then in, so I'm going to climb Rainier, uh, in next week, nice. which will be like, you know, by far the biggest mountain that I've climbed. Yeah. It's just a beast in every way. And then after that, I'm going to do Adams because by the end of May, it usually clears that road. The snow melts out finally, and you can get on the mountain without having nice. to hike an extra like five miles. Right. Right. That's awesome. And then maybe Shasta. I'm just do all of them. Yeah. I really like the, <laughs> it's there. You might as well. <laughs> gotta, gotta knock out the cascade range, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's thanks funny. for you're, coming. It seems oh. like you're like, you're, you're about the, the like summiting peaks and I just want to walk really, really far. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like both. I do. I really do. I think there's just yeah. a, a period of being in nature and I know from growing over the past four or five years away from like traditional lifestyle and getting rid of all my things and Mm -hmm. and simplifying a lot, like what you've done, um, that I need a lot of grounding because I'm not, my headspace is not very grounded at all. I mean, I live in the clouds and to be in nature, that's like my major ground. So I can go backpacking for a long time. And when I come back, it only takes a couple of days before I want to be back out there again. And the peaks I think for me are like, (laughs) I get to the top, but I can do so much with that in one day. Or if I only have one or two days, that's such a big accomplishment mm-hmm. for me that it, it actually holds me over for a little bit longer. But yeah. I'm looking at the Wonderland Trail and, and circumnavigating some of these big mountains, you know, for five, six day trips. That would be mm-hmm. amazing. And then ramping up to the PCT, which is why I wanted to talk to you. So I'm happy yeah. that you're here. And yeah, I think I found you me. randomly, awesome. like, I don't even remember through somebody oh maybe it was who was it abby hearn maybe who posted something with oh yeah 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 i met her and i i helped her and her dog (laughs) yeah she's awesome (laughs) yeah it was was like such a random meeting but that very well could have been it i don't remember i know it was through instagram but yeah um, i met her a couple years ago and her dog looks a lot like mine so it's oh yeah so mine's a little bit bigger than uh little chuck chuck chuck's her dog right but yeah. And it just made a lot of sense. I work a, a lot off synchronicity and just intuition of um, relations and reaching out for these types of things. So I'm really excited and I'm happy to get to yeah, talk to you. Me too. This is great. So I know it, it took us a little bit for to, for us to connect um, to make this all happen. And so I'm happy that we finally were able to. Yeah. That's how it works. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, so first you're, you go by the darling dirtbag on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I think also Vice sometimes, which I've seen. Is that right? Yeah. So Vice is my trail name, and the darling dirtbag was my account, like my <laughs> Instagram account before 
I started the trail. And so okay. it's funny. People get it confused. But yes, Vice, if, you're t- if we're talking trail names, it's Vice, but I answer to all, all of the things. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> sure if you had two trail names or if you were wrapping it around. Trail names is such a beautiful thing. Blogs are so funny. I met some really interesting people with interesting names that I remember them by. Never uh-huh. knew their original names, uh, especially on the oh, AT. There's a, and... there's a lot of incredibly, like, incredibly <laughs> good friends that I either I don't know their names or if I hear their names, it's extremely weird. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm sure you've seen Twerk, um, like his hiker trash Vogue stuff on Instagram. Yeah. If you haven't, you should check it out. But people call him Tommy sometimes. I'm like, who the fuck is Tommy? Can I <laughs> Am I allowed to say curse words on this? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you beat me to it. Um, so for people that don't know what we're talking about, the PCT, the Pacific mm-hmm. Crest Trail, I would like, can you give them just a brief rundown of the stretch of that, where it starts, where it finishes, the date range yeah. that you did it, and then we can get into some of the experiences that you had with uh, you know, your mindset and you know, ups, downs, technicalities with gear and stuff like that. And I'm going to ask you a lot of questions that I personally want to know. Because it's really interesting. Yeah, to I me. love talk. I could talk about this forever, so yeah. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, so um, let's yeah, just start so there. Sounds good. Um, so the Pacific Crest Trail it starts in Campo, California. So you pretty much access it from San Diego. It's maybe I don't even know. I like blacked out that morning, but it was probably like 45 minutes <laughs> to an hour from San Diego. I was so nervous. Um, and then you literally are. I mean, you see the like. There's a wall there, um, and so you're at the actual. You can touch the border. And you hike north for 2,650 miles, and you end in Manning Park. Um, it's a provincial park in the middle of nowhere. Um, kind of the nearest, like, big city is Vancouver um, in Canada. It's actually funny. I thought that there would be civilization up there, but you literally get there, and you're like, wait, how, how do I get to Vancouver? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not that close. It's like an hour and a half. And so that I had no clue about. Um so yeah, so you end up going through um, Southern California, through the Sierra, um, into Northern California, through Oregon and Washington. So um, Campo, that's is that's kind of on the U.S. side of near Tecate, right? Is that I don't know what it's. I should know this, but I don't. Um, there was, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, uh, I remember being on just an interstate for a while, and then you just get off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're there's not. From my understanding, there's not a whole lot around there. So. But not quite. It's kind of halfway between San Diego and Mexicali, I think. I used to live in San Diego. I was just trying to place it. Oh, okay. And I'll be down there next week. I'm super pumped. You should go down and do some trail magic. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I've got some really amazing meetings happening with some magical people already, so it could could happen. Yeah. Um, that's the beauty of working location independent, too. You don't really have mm-hmm. to go back. But so, yeah, when you go up, you go through the Sierras and then that's that's a very hectic place for a lot of people that, I mean, people mm-hmm. skip that, right? A lot. Did you have any trouble in that area? Did you did you go around it at all? Did you run into weather? No. So I actually, I um, I don't know, people have different approaches to it, but I, I really wanted to do the continuous footpath. So I actually didn't skip, um, like I walked the entire time, didn't Respect. skip anything. Um, well, I also had a really ideal year. So 2017... Had, that, that was crazy. They had all the snow, um, uh, all the snow and all the fires and all of that stuff. We had a really low snow year. Um, so, and I think, 
it's nothing I could have planned. Um, but I started a little bit late, um, in terms of like when I entered into, into the Sierra, I wanted to go through with some people, uh, because of what I saw the previous year. Um, so I waited for some people for a few days. They were, they had to get off trail and go to a wedding. So we ended up going in, I want to say June 7th or 8th. And we happened to go through right after like a pretty big melt. Um, what like, day did you start the trail? Uh, on my birthday, April 10th. Um, oh, happy yeah, birthday. thanks. Um, yeah. And it was actually kind of a crazy start for me because I got really injured within the first week. Um, and so I ended up being stuck in Warner Springs, California. For about how, did, a week. how did that injury happen? Um, I think it, it's one of those things where I, I think that it was a combination of too heavy of a pack. Um, and just not, I had done a ton of hiking, um, leading up to it, but I didn't hike with that weight on my back. And so I think my joints just kind of went nuts because yeah. it's one thing to do, you know, I was going on like three day backpacking trips just as like sort of shakedown trips, uh, just like testing my gear and making sure that I had what I needed. Um, but I didn't do anything, you know, I didn't do a week plus. Uh, and so I think it was more the stress on my joints over a long period of time. Um, um, and having it be a bit too heavy of a pack, honestly, because because we didn't have a lot of we we did have a, a low snow year. That meant that water was a bit of an issue, and so there was a lot of really big water carries that we were carrying. You know, I think the max I carried was like seven or eight liters, which is a lot of weight. And so yeah, uh, my knee started going crazy. Starting in and, the desert, so you don't have a lot. Of yeah, condition. yeah. So what my was the total pack weight? It it seriously fluctuated. Um, I think probably average my base weight was around i would say like 14 15 pounds but i did start higher than that um and then i ended with a fairly high uh, pack weight because i i ended october 6th and so we were dealing with some winter temperatures um and camping on snow and stuff so i had to bulk up my layers and all of that stuff um and i stopped at my tent did you say 40 to 50 no 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 14 to 15. That's it? Like your whole pack? That's, no, that's my base weight. So oh. That's, all, that's my weight without food and water because that obviously changes day to day. I got you. Um, okay. I was like freaking yeah. out. Like, how in the fuck did no, you No, no. Oh, my gosh. No, I could never have survived. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was kind of all over the place. And once I got injured, I realized I had to get my, my pack weight as light as humanly possible because I could tell that the weight of my pack was um, – what was sort of contributing to my injuries because um, it was my knee. And then because I was limping, my foot went crazy. It was bad. I couldn't put any weight on my, um, on my right leg for, I had to like hike 30 miles like that um, just to get to a new like a town. And so I realized that I like, I just had to get rid of absolutely everything that wasn't absolutely necessary um, and take the time off, which was really hard. So everybody that I had met at the beginning um, they kind of came and went. And so I almost feel like I had to start completely over again. Um, so sometimes I joke that my start date was actually like April 18th. Emotional breakdown <laughs> number one. Because I think that's the day that I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely the most, it was like a, it was a wake up call. And there's a saying on trail that you have to hike your own hike. And it, um, it definitely hit me hard where I was like, all right, I, I need to kind of do what my body requires and really pay attention to my body. And, um, I pretty much had to say goodbye to all of my friends and set off on my own after that. So it was crazy, but 
um, thankful for it. It was a really amazing experience. Um, and I mean, everybody kind of deals with, with, uh, hardships, I, I guess, and like little yeah. struggles when you're out there. Um, and I think it was pretty cool that mine happened so early because it really informed a lot of how I approached the rest of the trail. So how did and I had to get used to camping by myself, like real quick. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be interesting. I mean, it's always, it's always the, uh, the trigger for the mind gremlins to come in and start making you think mm -hmm. too much and doubt and trying to suppress them. How did your next couple weeks go or how long did it take you to get from that April 18th restart back to the Sierras or up to the Sierras? Uh, so I think I reached Kennedy Meadows, which is sort of the gateway into um, the Sierras. That was, I think I got there June 2nd or 3rd. Um, and then, like I said, I, I took some days off to wait okay. for some people. Um, so I did, I really took my time when I set off from Warner Springs after the injury, I didn't, I had no clue how my body was going to handle it. Um, so I just did pretty low mile days and kind of stuck by myself, um, just to kind of see how everything was going to progress. And I definitely had like, I, I managed that injury for weeks, um, even into the Sierra a little bit. Uh, so that was, that was, I mean, the, the desert was a very interesting section for me just because I feel like I had to really deal with a lot with my body. Yeah. Um, I'm actually interested in hearing more about the desert. Cause that's a pretty big gap between the start and, you know, it's a whole month of, Oh yeah. Of yeah. trail it's in the desert. Over, I think it's, no, it's like 700 miles. I want to say. Um, so you're out there for a long time before you really get into any, you know, not, and, it, and it's really weird how, it does change so abruptly. Like you walk into Kennedy Meadows and it is still desert. It's beautiful. I loved the desert. Um, when, when you leave the Kennedy Meadows, you pretty much within a day are in the mountains. Um, and then, yeah, all of a sudden you're, you're going over passes and it's just, you, yeah, it's like the, the ancient, shift. it's the ancient border of where the ocean used to meet the mountains basically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is yeah. fascinating. I, I know there's so many different ways that it feels when you're in the desert versus the mountains versus, you know, a mm -hmm. coastline too. Did you notice, uh, did you have a particular favor between the different areas as far as oh, the energy? Did you love the desert? That, did it? That's like asking more me my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I figured it would be I, kind of amazing hard. in all it's the right way. Yeah. A lot of people kind of dogged on the desert when I, like when I was prepping, I, I, consumed all all you know like through hyper pct media so i was watching as many like you know youtube videos documentaries stuff like that and uh, a lot of people and, you, and even in you know the facebook groups groups and stuff like that people kind of don't tend to not really love the desert but i obviously i just did a six-week road trip throughout the desert so i love the desert um it's it, I, it's it's so magical to me the sunsets and sunrises are so intense and um i love just kind of a sparse landscape and it's it's actually really diverse and so you're in you know the stereotypical desert where you can see for miles and miles and then all of a sudden you're in high desert um and everything in between and so that was really amazing uh, obviously the sierras are just ridiculous it's, it's every day i was like this is the prettiest day i've ever hiked and then i'd wake <laughs> up and say the same thing <laughs> so i finally just stopped saying it um and i, I do think if I had to pick one thing, um, Oregon, like the whole state of Oregon was just, oh. we, we hit it, uh, right in the peak of fall colors. And so it was just 
reds and oranges and crazy oh, sunsets so and just like absolutely beautiful. Yeah. We hit this window um, because it had rained a lot before we got there. And, uh, and I, we just hit this like amazing weather window uh, until the very, like, the very end we had a little bit of like winter storms and stuff, but um, oh, it was like every day was just absolutely beautiful. So I know that was, I basically just said the whole trail, but <laughs> but there were just really memorable things about each section. Um, even, you know, NorCal, for example, I barely saw any of it because of all the smoke. We had crazy smoke yeah, that was um, from the all of the fires. It was crazy. Yeah. So I actually, I saw Shasta for about 30 minutes and you're supposed to see it for several days. But even that, like it, like it was so quiet and a lot of people ended up skipping. And so you really felt like you were like com- complete solitude. Um, I think I went a couple days without seeing anybody and that was just kind of rare because we were pretty much, um, hiking in the, what they call the bubble, like sort of the main, um, the main group of people, uh, yeah. that are heading through. And, you know, like I didn't get to see a whole lot, but it was in NorCal, like just a, such a different, um, experience kind of having to notice the, like the little tiny things because you couldn't see, there was no vista. And so, you're, you're noticing plants and animals and kind of everything that was like right in front of you. Um, so even that, it's, it's not stereotypically gorgeous because I wasn't seeing anything, but um, like that was memorable to me because, you know, we had this, this crazy smoke. So it sort of for, for, forced you to shift your perspective and just be very, very present in what was like immediately around you, which I think um, when you have all the crazy the vistas and just sensory overload on some of the other sections that you sort of miss. Um, so that was a cool experience too. Did, <laughs> did the, the fires fuck with your breathing at all? Uh, a little. So I bought an air mask um, because I was worried about like, well, you know, there's, you're doing some fairly decent climbs. And so I had that in my back pocket. Weirdly, it, it fucked with my, taste buds more than anything i i never really felt like it was so so thick that i couldn't um breathe or sleep or anything like that it was more that my taste was weird for a couple weeks um i don't know again if we just hit it to where because I, I had heard from other people that it was so thick that they couldn't do it like they were getting like they were feeling sick um i never really ran into anything like that so it could have been just luck of my timing um but i had I had the mask just in case, and I think I wore it like twice, and it was honestly just more hot than anything. So I stuck it back in my pack and ultimately threw it away. So, but you got lucky enough but, to where you actually didn't have to physically, you know, leave the trail or anything like that right. because the fire was getting right. too close to you. Right. Correct. Nice. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I'm that's a, that's a very that. serious threat, and I'm sure that there's oh, yeah. lots of other threats that you came across while you were on that trail. Um, in the in the desert section, when you were talking about carrying, what, seven liters of water, did mm-hmm. you have any times where you felt like you were getting pretty close oh, uh, yeah. to running out and not really sure you know, what the how you were going to get to the next spot or how far you were? Or was yeah. it pretty calculated? Were... So typically, they always say you carry your fears. And so I was, I was pretty big on carrying more water than I needed. Yeah. Um, but there was one day I just – I honestly misread – um, so you use, there's an app, an app that we use called gut hook. Um, and there's also a water report. So in the desert, you're constantly looking at both of those sources because they're crowd. What's that? Crowd source. People are, gut hook. Gut hook. 
yeah, it's the best. Cool. <laughs> There's a uh, many of the long trails. Um, they have they have uh, little like just trail sections that you. I mean, you have to pay for it, but it's absolutely invaluable. Um, so it has everything from where towns are. People are commenting um, on different locations, water sources, saying if they're still slow or not. Um, it's oh, it's that is amazing. Amazingly helpful. Yeah. Um, but I think I just I misread it one day and thought that there was a source that was closer than what it ended up being. And it was one of the hotter days, no shade at all. I was hiking through a burn area and I remember there was like a couple clouds. So when the clouds would come, I would just sit down and try to cool my body um, because I was running out of water very quickly. And uh, I was starting to feel really sick and I knew I was pretty far away from water. And so I was just trying to, stay calm and manage all that and I actually happened to come around this bend and I all of a sudden saw these two like a red umbrella and a blue umbrella I think it was and I was like what is that and I walk up and apparently it's pretty well-known trail magic that's there permanently but I didn't see that on my gut hook app so I was like are you serious and I walk up and there's juice and water and snacks and I think there was like fresh fruit and all of this stuff and shade and if that if it wasn't for that, um, I think I still had a few more miles to get to the next water source. So that one absolutely saved me. Um, and in the, near the Mojave, there was a couple really crucial water caches that Trail Angels um, maintain. I think it was going to be that if if you you're not supposed to rely on water caches, um, but these were we like we knew we had heard that they had just gotten restocked, and so we were able to. But uh, there was one in particular, I think I had like three drinks left. And if the cash was empty, I was going to be screwed. Um, and I got there yeah. and it was like plenty of water. I almost cried. <laughs> so I would, I can imagine. It sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah. like to... it, it can be really scary. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I, I tended to overcarry. But there was a couple of times where I just either didn't plan very well, misread information or kind of had to pray to the trail angels that it was going to, to be there um which again you're not like i wouldn't recommend it you should always carry what you <laughs> like, are certain of um but yeah so there was a, definitely a couple times but it was only i think it was maybe two or three times total um on the entire trail and so could have been worse but there's a few times where i was like "Ooh, this is a little too close for comfort <laughs> yeah how how did being outside sort of disconnected from ETFs and electronics, um, mm -hmm. disconnected from the city smog blocking out the stars. I mean, minus when mm -hmm. you're in the wildfire time and being completely sort of massaged by the divine desert energies and the detoxifying forest wisdom and the cleansing, you know, waters when you did come across it, how did that impact the way that you felt in your body, like your health overall? Um, oh, in every single way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's funny because I was working like crazy before I started the trail. I was really stressed, like leading right up to the trail just because I was trying to get everything in order. And I thought it would take a long time for me to really feel like I was completely disconnected. And it only took me about a, a week, I would say. Um, but it was amazing. I, I didn't realize some of the effects until long after the trail, but when I've gone back and tried to write about my time on trail, the amount of detail that I remember is really incredible because um, I would not say that I have a good memory typically, but because there's no distractions, you are truly pre like, present, like 100% present. 
I remember people's names, like just everything, just like very, very vivid detail um, of like even very early sections of the trail and just even uneventful days. I can remember what I was thinking, even what I was listening to, the smells, all of that. Um, so there is that. And then also you, and I was told that this would happen and I just didn't believe it, but you really fall into the sink nature. So you are, you wait wake up when the birds start chirping before sunrise and you you are exhausted right as the sun is setting and and I was, so I was basically going to sleep um at sunset and waking up at sunrise for you know just under 6 months and circadian it was rhythm. pretty cool and yeah absolutely and even like the the moon just kind of being really aware of like this the stage of the moon um it was really really incredible and it was something that I didn't realize was affecting me quite as much when I was in the moment. But um, when I got back off the trail and had to live in a house, you know, for several months, um, I lost it really quickly. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is, I want it back. And it was really incredible that I got the experience to live like that uh, for that long. And so, yeah, it was like mentally amazing, physically amazing. I mean, obviously physically I was exhausted all the time and pretty much in some sort of pain all the time, but um, yeah, being able to really, truly detach that much, um, was really awesome, but also introduced some interesting struggles when I got back, you know, back from the trail because I had changed so much. And all of a sudden you realize things are very complicated. Um, there's traffic. I actually was car sick for the first month. Um, oh, that that's I interesting. I hadn't really been, yeah, just really weird things that nobody tells you about. Um, and you know, like, I work in marketing, but like just the marketing messages that are constantly around you, you're just very aware of when you get back. And so, uh, so it was like a really positive thing, but it introduced some really interesting, I would call like side effects, um, after getting off trail. So there was, well, they too. say like circadian rhythm, this being in sync with nature, obviously we are of nature and we're fungal bodies. It's if you can, get yourself as close to that as possible. And you, you're turning off electronics by like 5 PM and you're not mm -hmm. keeping yourself up late night. Like the, the, the marketing world really is, is that, kind of taught yeah. us to do our whole life. So many things fall into place. I mean, sleep gets mm -hmm. better. Inflammation yeah. decreases, mental clarity increases. There's all yeah. these phenomenal things. You start waking up early, you go to sleep um, early and yeah, it's hard for anybody to see because of all these blockers that are in our way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's really crazy once you kind of take yourself away from like, quote unquote, like normal society and live that way. Um, I mean, I'm thankful that I was able to be in a position that allowed me to have that experience. But it does. You come back and you're like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, all of this is so ridiculous. But actually, um, I, like, I went on that road trip uh, that I just got back from and I pretty much slept I had my tent with me but I pretty much slept in my car with like the hatch and windows open every night and I fell right back into that rhythm um where I was you know waking up at 5 30 because the birds were starting to chirp and the sun was rising and I was I'd get really tired at about nine o'clock it's like home and you feel yeah, like home so I was like oh my gosh like I'm back <laughs> so, yeah so yeah it's it really is crazy how quickly you can lose it just based on um and you know like it's great to have a, a nice, comfortable place to live in, but I have a bedroom that has one window and I don't get a whole lot of um, natural light in here. And 
it's it's hard to sort of replicate that feeling living in a house um which is crazy like and and most of us do live in houses and so how do you i guess like work around that but yeah i've heard it's it's tough to kind of fit back in with community too because your new perspective is not something that's shared amongst most people you know and so then naturally oh yeah you're going to gravitate to people that have had those experiences that you've had. I mean, when I was on the AT, I I grew up kind of in the backyard of the AT and anytime I'd be on it, I'd meet a lot of through hikers and some of them had done it before and they returned to do it again. And like, it was pretty intense, the emotion Mm -hmm. behind like what they were going to do when they, the trail ended, because you could tell that that was a big conflict for them. Um, Yeah. Being on the trail was very much like home. But then when they got off, it was almost like they had this big problem that they had to step back into which really shouldn't be the case at all. You know, it's sad that that's, that's the reality. Yeah. It's just so starkly different. Um, I was, I I was warned that you have like post trail depression is an absolute thing. I went through it. It was really intense. Um, I knew it was going to potentially happen, but I just, I was like, well, I live in Colorado. I, I live in Frisco, Colorado and I have trails outside my back door and I live literally in the mountains. So I really didn't think that that would be the case for me, but it absolutely was um, for a lot of the reasons that we just talked about where you're, you know, like you're kind of detaching yourself a little bit from nature. And uh, for me, I actually fell into very much, pretty much my old life. So I kept my same apartment. Um, I, I went back and started working on my same clients. And so not a lot changed when I got back, but then you're completely different trying to retrofit yourself into your quote unquote old life. Um, and that was really, really hard. So I just kept like running away to Moab pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) It it makes total sense. I mean, I like even, I I haven't done a full trail like that, but if I do go out in short spurts in nature for maybe a couple weeks, even, or if Mm -hmm. I go do something like a plant medicine in another country and you have that kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, shamanic native homey type experience too, it's really hard to come back and and focus. And I've noticed a lot personally about how much my perspective has changed before. Um, I mean, how much it's changed now from what it was before. And like, I know when you did the PCT, what do you think, who were you before based on who you are now and what your view is on the world? Essentially, what are the big differences there? That's a big question. (laughs) I'm sure there's so many. Um, I think, well, I think before it's funny because I feel like, my deciding to do the PCT was a slow burn. So I was like changing quite a lot even to get to the point where I was going to do the PCT. But I think a lot of it, I was always like constantly searching for like fun and joy, like bluegrass. I'm a huge fan of bluegrass. So I go to these Mm, festivals to kind of, yay, to kind of like escape um, a little bit. And I was always trying to, you know, I was always on road trips, shorter road trips, but, um, but I think, before I was a lot more distracted. I allowed myself, not even allowed myself to be more distracted. I think it was just, I didn't even notice that I was that distracted. Um, always stressed. Everything seemed like the biggest deal ever. Um, I was not like the healthiest in terms of like managing life stresses. I would say after the trail, I am a lot more mindful about this is, I mean, it's going to sound very crunchy, but like my consumption of everything. Yeah. So water, cause I had to manage water so much. Um, I am so hyper aware of I mean, drinking water is one thing, but like using it to shower and like leaving it on, like it drives me crazy when I see people leave water on because it's so precious. Um, and I'd never had that perspective because I had the abundance of it. 
beforehand. So things like that, even um, like energy, how much like power we use to power our laptops and all of our electronics, which I mean, I work in like digital marketing. And so um, it's something that I constantly battle with, but you just, I think I just, because you went back to, I mean, everything that you used was carried on your back when you were in town, you were having to charge your little batteries and manage, you know, the, the power that you're using and your fuel that you're, you know, you're using to cook your food. I, it just puts you a lot closer to that sort of stuff. Um, and then also just being in the moment. Um, like I said, I was very distracted before and I don't think I even realized I was that bad. Um, and after, after the trail, I've noticed that I, um, I'm definitely a lot more present when I'm in, you know, interactions with friends and stuff. I also got weirdly almost introverted, which is so weird. I used to always <laughs> go to festivals and concerts and I was like always like wanting to be in the middle of the action. And I got back and I just really love keeping by myself. Um, I do I mean, obviously like solo travel all the time and stuff like that. And so that was like a really weird thing for me because I had like a lot of friends being like, why don't I see you? You're back. Why don't I see you? And I just kind of prefer like quiet and sort of keeping to myself well, you, now, which was discovered <laughs> the beauty of, of all of that time to yourself and how important it can be mm -hmm. for the higher development of your mind mm -hmm. and your body and heart, gut, whatever, all of it in combination. And I, and I mean, it makes total sense to come back and still crave that. It's kind of like somebody who has never meditated and then they do five minute meditations once a day for a week and then it's hard to go back to not doing that because that they saw the benefit right. of the five minutes. And then eventually that evolves to maybe an hour per day, you know, broken up into a couple different meditations. But then mm -hmm. when they don't do that, they feel like they're losing their mind again because they got that self quiet nature. And then mm -hmm. maybe eventually a, a Vipassana, you know, a, a one or two week meditation with no talking period. I think sure. it's like 10 days or something. Um, and a lot of people that come out of that would say very similar things to you about their, their ability to identify distractions and be way more aware and present, especially, mm -hmm. I mean, not just consumption, but what are we doing? You know, what, what's yeah, the purpose behind our action? Like, are we yeah. going to mindlessly, you know, wander down the street, like zombies staring at the phone and at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, being just abused by all of these billboards and layers that are stacked upon us from our surroundings and the environment and this type of, you know, machine that we've built in the country that we're in. Um, yeah. Or can we identify well, like that constant, immediately and disconnect? Constant, yeah. Yeah. It's also like the whole idea. One of the other sort of side effects, I would say, uh, getting back um, for being on trail. I, <laughs> so before I went to start the trail, I actually went to this bluegrass festival in South Lake Tahoe. Um, what festival it was, kind of like my my uh it's called winter wondergrass i highly recommend everybody go to it it's very Ooh. fun um it's it's like in, you know it's, uh, it's skiing and bluegrass basically and um <laughs> yeah it's awesome it's if you're in it's in the winter um so it can be very cool i've, I've gotten absolutely dumped on uh with snow and it was sort of a kickoff to the whole experience um i've gone for the last couple of years they have one in colorado as well and steamboat springs i love bluegrass um, because I, was, I grew up or i grew up in tennessee but i lived in kentucky for seven years and so you know you get real, so awesome you, get real you, got, you got like the yeah it's like where it's like where it started yeah i mean it's it starts there but then the people that are good very quickly figure out that they should leave and go somewhere cooler right right <laughs> 
Um, that's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I kind of started there because it was my birthday weekend, sort of. And so I had a festival bag and I had my backpack. And so I shipped my festival bag home after that weekend. And I flew, um, actually with some, uh, hikers that I had just met on, like through the Facebook group, we flew down together. So when I got back from the trail, um, I stayed at my sister's house because my niece was born while I was on the trail. So I wanted to spend some time. Um, uh, yeah, she's turning one this, this, like in the next week and which is so crazy to me. But, um, yeah, so Congrats. I got back to my sister's house. I know she's the best. She's so, she's like a little bestie. Yeah. I know. Um, but so I went to my sister's after I got back to Colorado and I had, um, she had that bag, the festival bag, uh, which had kind of just like changes of clothes, just like immediate needs that I knew I would have. And I remember unpacking it and just unpacking that bag, I pulled out like five different charging cords and all this makeup and all these like, like way more clothing than I've had for the last like six months. And I remember sitting there just getting massively overwhelmed. Um, and was just kind of like, why do, why do I need five charging cords? This is ridiculous. And, uh, then I came back up to my place and I had gotten rid of a lot of stuff before, like when I moved out, um, I like half moved out, but, um, came back into my house and it was, I was so, so, so overwhelmed just seeing how many things I own. Um, so I actually came back and like immediately got rid of about half of my closet and just started to like really pare down and simplify. Um, I'm still going through that whole process, but I think that's like a huge thing that came out of the trail is if I could live with like very simply, um, with, you know, a couple things that I could carry on my back. Um, and noticing the mental changes that happened with me, like in terms of, being a lot more present and remembering a lot more details of situations and stuff like that. I just kind of wondered if there was something that I could take from that experience and apply to my life um, now and maybe experience some of those improvements. Um, That's a good I way don't to know. do it. Cause the, yeah. the, I mean, I did, I got rid of, I used to have a four bedroom house with like <laughs> five fish tanks and it's a very embarrassing <laughs> thing. I mean, I had, I built a bar in the basement. I had all these like, so much alcohol and TVs in every room. And I got rid of, uh, 1,700 plus items That's and crazy. I tracked all of it and I wrote down everything that I got rid of. And it was, it was insane to actually realize that I owned all that. And in reality, mm -hmm. you know, they, they say that your things actually own you because you spend all of your time taking care of things and updating things and paying for things and cleaning things and putting them yep. in place. And, that completely breaks your awareness. I mean, the whole reason that I made Rage Create and, and the company that uh, my little startup is to help remind people of life's magic. And because in a world where we have so many things that break our distraction in just a couple seconds, why aren't there more things that actually remind people of how magical they are in just a couple seconds? And mm -hmm. that all started with that process of of getting rid of everything. And like, you, yeah. You know, you just start, if you started doing that, then it's like you get into it. You can't stop. Once you start getting rid of things, mm -hmm. you feel so free. And, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. now I'm in yeah. this apartment and I've kind of um, congested a bunch of unnecessary gear and, you know, some things that I don't need. I'm going to have to go through this process again because I'm yeah. going, going nomad here and about six weeks. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm about to move into a van. And so, damn, um, we're going to have I'm to like, rage. Right. I'll be in my exterior. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I like my, my road trip that I just got back from was 
pretty much to just make sure that I could work from the road and that I liked living on the road. So I was living um, basically out of my Honda Pilot. And so, and I loved it. Like I did not want to come home. Um, I I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to come home because of my niece's birthday. um, And I basically needed to get back so that I could make all this happen. Um, But I'm like, I'm paring down to permanently live in a van um, and do that for as long as it is fun. Did you get that already? Not yet. Uh, I almost bought a van and it ended up being not quite the right fit. Um, I so I, <laughs> I got, it almost happened when really it almost happened when I was on the nice road actually. Um, and I just realized that it wasn't quite the right thing. Um, so right now, like that's sort of like aside from hustling with work and, and, you know, uh, now that I'm back home, um, with infinite power and internet, uh, just trying to, to work as much as possible. My other priority while I'm um, back is to buy the van, potentially build it out if I don't find one that I that makes sense that's already built, and yeah. get rid of all of my stuff. And hopefully, my my goal, I'm, like I really believe in, like if you put it out there, you'll make it you'll make it happen. So I'm saying it right now. Affirm it. My goal is to have yeah, is to get the van, have it ready, and I want to be completely out um, and ready to move into it. Like by the time I do the Colorado Trail, so I would essentially like come back to it. So say um, that, say that in the, the present Colorado. tense three times a day until it happens, and it will come true. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how the PCT happened. I just started telling people I was doing it, and then yeah, you get so far down the rabbit hole that you're everything. like, "Whoa, I have to do it." <laughs> <laughs> well, also, yeah. like you're, subconsciously, you're telling your brain that these things are real, and so without mm-hmm. thinking, you start taking action in the direction of those, and that's how they come yeah. to life. All the little decisions that you make, yeah. um, all of a sudden are with that in mind. And that uh, people ask me, like, how the heck I took the jump, um, on the PCT, like deciding to do the PCT. Because for me, I had a pretty expensive, I mean, I live in a very expensive area. So I had my rent. Um, I have my own business. And so I had my clients that I had to handle all of that stuff. And, uh, so it was a lot to sort of get like, a lot of details that I had to get in line for it, it to even, like have a chance to happen and it was just a year before i got on trail i just started telling people i was doing it and i remember the day i posted it on like instagram or facebook or whatever i was like all right like i i just made this public and so if i don't do it like <laughs> i'm not i'm not coming like it's sort yeah. of embarrassing you're and the kind so, of person that's not going to do something was, like that yeah. yeah if i say i'm going to do it i'm going to do it and so um yeah i strongly believe in if you really want something just start talking about it. And if, I mean, if you're wired like me and it sounds like you, um, you'll just kind of make it happen because you put it out there. Um, and if it doesn't happen, that's okay too. But, um, yeah, if it's yeah. something you really, really, really are like passionate about and you really want to make happen, I really think that this, like, the second you start talking about it, it starts to become very real. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm hiking a trail or living in a van or taking this trip or starting this yeah, business. You're planting a seed. It's a real yeah. thing. It's, it's a very mm-hmm. real thing. I can't look back at the last four years and be like, every single thing that I've accomplished has happened because of those very easy fundamentals. And mm-hmm. you know, anybody who reaches out all the time, it's like, it really does come down to that personal foundation of habits and affirming things mm-hmm. for yourself. And it's, it's magic. And it's like these little micro decisions, like these yeah. little tiny things little that don't things. seem important. Yeah. 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 Yeah, don't go uh, get blackout with your friend tonight, you know? Yeah, I, I got laid off of my job probably 10 years ago now. How old am I? Yeah, it was probably about 10 years ago. And I was so upset about it. And I remember laying on my couch, crying in Chicago, 
Um, Damn, all Chicago. Upset. I just didn't know. Like it was. Oh yeah, I lived in Chicago, which is hilarious. Um, I I ran away from that place. <laughs> like I'm not a city person at all. So you went. So but did you go to school, take a job in Chicago, and then that happened, yeah. and then you came back and started your own business, or? Just so I went to school um, in, I'm from Illinois. So I went to school at University of Illinois. Oh, you're from Illinois, huh? Moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm from a really tiny little like farm town. <laughs> What's and the town? It's called Tulane, Illinois. Shout out to Tulane. <laughs> My, I have like a whole bunch of family in um, Springfield, Illinois. Oh yeah, yeah, I know Springfield. But it's not um, actually Springfield. It's like a even smaller town somewhere. I probably know it. My dad used to have there. to go there when I was a <laughs> when I was a kid. It was like corn. It's you know, it just cornfields, but small yep, world. That's where I'm from. Uh, but my town had 1,300 people. Um, so I, I went to like a bigger school and then uh, moved to Chicago because I studied advertising in Chicago in uh, college. So I moved to Chicago because that was like a huge market. Um, and I really wanted to experience the city thing. Uh, I really thought that like that was like. <laughs> where I was destined to be and all of that. Da, and it was, da, da. it was fun. Yeah. It was fun living there for a few years, but I kind of fell into, um, spending beyond my means. It's a, it's a very expensive city. I bought a condo because I felt like I, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, all this stuff. And then I just realized I, I like, it was not for me. I was very much ready to leave. Um, and I had a job actually fall completely randomly in my lap, um, that put me in Boulder, uh, from, um, my, actually, she was my, original boss and I was an intern turned like very good friends. And so she like brought me, I kind of reached out to work with her in this company in Boulder. And I just, it, it was crazy. It was a whirlwind. It happened very, very fast. All of a sudden I was like, like I was a landlord and then was living in Boulder, living with a random Craigslist roommate, like all this stuff just happened very, very quickly. Um, and then, like I said, like it, it's crazy looking back on all these little decisions that I've made. Um, because it's like I lived in Boulder for a while, absolutely loved it, but was kind of not totally comfortable where I was at professionally. And I really wanted to live in the mountains. Um, also had realized that I very much wanted to be location independent and like figure out <laughs> remotely. We have so uh, many similarities. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just like, that was something that was in the back of my mind. Actually, when I got, when I had gotten laid off back in Chicago, um, that was like the thing that I was, I remember just sitting there thinking about. And so that was almost 10 years ago. And every single professional decision I have made since then was to give me either the experience in order to eventually work for myself, um, or actually like taking the step to like take on projects and do freelance and all of that stuff. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's been definitely a lot of very mindful decisions to sort of get to where now I can work from my, from, from a campsite. <laughs> how, did, <laughs> how did that go when you were testing out the ability to work remotely? Um, did you have a hotspot or? Yeah. Like, so I have a hotspot. You have a Verizon uh, hotspot or? Yeah. And it works. I actually thought I would have a lot bigger of an issue. Yeah. So um, that's, I'm, I have Sprint right now and I'm highly, I'm on the verge of, of switching it so I can get a Verizon hotspot or just getting it extra. I, I think it's, you can do it, you can do it extra, but I actually, like, I want to get into the details, but I switched my plan. Um, so I now have like unlimited data for my phone and they were like, oh, you can actually put your hotspot on there for $20 more. So for under a hundred bucks, I have fully unlimited data, um, with Damn. my phone and that yeah, sounds very unlike Verizon. I had, <laughs> I had no clue that this existed. And so that was like a huge game changer for me because I was having to manage my data on the road. Um, that was the only thing. Like 
data and power where like I have my own power set up and I got, you know, external batteries and solar and all that stuff. Um, but I was having to kind of get into towns and work from coffee shops for half a day and like, you know, make sure that I'm charging my stuff. Um, but once the data, like now I don't have to worry about data, which is really amazing. And, um, power, once I have a van and have it like, like true solar, I'll be fine. Yeah. On the roof. Um, but it was really incredible. I truly did not have an issue working from the road and cool, I would good news. many, many days. Yeah. Many days I sat and I, I'd wake up and sit at my campsite and work until like one or two until it got kind of hot. And then I, then I might go in town. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, I'll have to that get was kind of the last piece that I needed to know more... that I could definitely live in a van and do that full time. <laughs> it answers some questions for me too, which is nice. I'm gonna have to get some details from you. On <laughs> I was going to say, I'll, I'll share, I'll, we can share notes. <laughs> one other thing, just while we're on this topic, um, did you ever figure out a way to run like a cooling or air conditioning type system via like solar power without running an engine block or, or an engine battery? Have you gotten that far yet? Yeah. Just like a way to keep no, something cool. I haven't, I didn't really need it. Honestly. The reason that I'm um, asking is cause I have a pup that would be with me and she's, oh, she's yeah. got a black coat and yep. she gets hot really easy. Yeah. I know like I've, kind of read a bunch of stuff about that um and i'm not an expert on this uh but i know with vans for example it's all about how you um insulate yeah and whatnot and so i feel like if you just had like a regular car that would be really hard to do um i it did get really hot on my road trip but i also feel like it's almost like location selection so when i got really hot i was like i'm gonna go to Wrightwood. i know it's high up um in elevation and not nearly as hot and so if you don't have the luxury of having it like a like seriously insulated van, um, then it's almost about where you're picking to go. Um, yeah. Like I wouldn't maybe go to the desert right now, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like little things like that. But yeah, I haven't gotten really that far on all of it. But uh, yeah, a dog is a whole different thing to consider. Um, I did build like a little homemade shade shade structure for my car so I could work. Um, and so that's like an option is if, if your dog is like, could hang outside and be in some shade. Um, it was, I think for like under $20, I made like a little thing where um, yeah, I always had little, shade no matter where I was at. These are all little things that to be figured out, but I, I did find yeah. a, a pretty sweet shade pull down that you can attach to the top of an Xterra and it gives you yeah. like a nice, I mean, it was like a hundred dollars and it's pretty convenient. Say, some, there, I, I've seen some of those that you're having. I, I did it on the fly. I was in a Walmart and I was like, I'm tired of being hot. And so I just, bought a couple of curtain rods and some um, paracord and tent stakes. And I went to town. Binder clips are your friend too. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, uh, let me go back to the PCT real quick. What, yeah. just cause I'm, I was curious about this earlier before I forget to ask you. Yeah. What, what do you think like your highest high on that trek was and in, in your lowest low? Uh, like oh. maybe like the best moment that you remember having, which there could be multiple, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if there's one that sticks out and then also like the hardest moment that you went through. Um, yeah. Yeah. So highest high, I'll start with that. Um, I have a huge fear of heights and falling. Um, exposure is. And you went up Whitney, almost, didn't you? I, um, I actually didn't go up Whitney. I, I don't do well with very, very, very high Can elevation. You go near I it? went up. Yeah. So I went up. So it's actually funny that you brought that up because it has to do with the story that I'm about to tell. So Forrester Pass was like my scariest 
I was dreading um, going over it. And Whitney was essentially the day before. Um, and my group that I was with at the time, they all went up Whitney. I knew just from be- doing all the 14ers in Colorado that I don't know why, but I just don't handle elevation, super, uh, super high elevations very well, um, despite living at 9,200 feet. Um, it's, and so I, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's also, I mean, for me, it really bothers me in Colorado, but it doesn't so much out in the Cascades. Interesting. Huh. That's interesting. You know, it's a much drier thing out there too, but yeah, I get, maybe I get, it has something man, to do with that. It affects me like I just, crazy. I, I feel, I feel hung over for about 24 hours. Um, yeah. if I, if I get to where I don't do well. And so Ooh. knowing that Forrester path was the next day and I, I really wanted to be mentally like clear in there, um, I decided they all went, um, and I had a really relaxing morning and I hiked to basically this junction where there's two ways you can get up, uh, Whitney and, uh, or two main ways, I should say. And I went up to the junction with, which was the exact same elevation as what Forrester was going to be. Um, so I did that. Uh, it was actually really cool. My friends were coming down right when I got to where I was going to turn around. So we all got to finish it together. Um, and then, but I do, I remember absolute anxiety, dread, like just being so terrified for the next day, which was Forrester because, um, if like, if you ever look at it, it's this little shoot that you have to, um, walk across. And if you miss that, you're going to like fall to your death or get maimed. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrifying. And, and most of it was really like me building it up for, for a year, basically. No, more than a year. So I was considering doing it, um, long before I actually made the call to do it. But Forrester was one of the reasons why I almost could have talked myself out of it because I was just, that's how bad my anxiety was yeah. around it. And so um, I was terrified. I was being such a weirdo all day. My, my the group I was hiking with was amazing and they really were like the best support ever. Um, and we went up and hiked it and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I wasn't scared. I definitely did better than I thought I would do, but I was petrified um going over it but i remember and they all everybody around like kind of knew that i was struggling and um i remember walking across it um and i got and i touched the wall on the other side and i just broke down i was so proud of myself and everybody around me was cheering like crazy and i actually heard later on another friend of mine was down below didn't know that i was up there um but realized that she the cheers she heard from the bottom was for me um, so that was pretty crazy, but that was, that was like a huge hurdle, um, because I knew heights was going to be a thing that I had to like face constantly on the trail. And that was definitely like the, the, the most, I think probably the most intense example of that. There was definitely a few areas where I struggled, but, um, yeah, being at the top of Forester Pass, um, and doing it and not dying and having to like truly I mean, it's like, what am I going to do? Turn around? Like, no. <laughs> and so just having to, to actually do it and face my fear, like right in the face was huge for me. Um, and it's at the beginning of the Sierra. And so, there, yeah, I don't know. It was just a really big deal. Um, so that was definitely like a high, high, high point for me. Uh, I was on cloud nine. Um, so it was like the most was, terrifying like, thing and also the highest point when you came up, when you got pretty over. much like I was, I remember I didn't break down very many times, uh, but I was at the bottom looking up at it, like crying, um, trying, trying not to be absolutely ridiculous, but, um, but yeah, I was like absolutely petrified. Um, but I think my truest low was around my injury. I remember, um, I, 
left Warner Springs was a couple of days out, like really feeling out what my injury situation was. And I remember everybody that I knew um, was going up San Jacinto. And I decided it was a bad idea for me to do it because it um, it adds like several thousand feet of descension um, when you're already having to go down miles um, to the desert floor. And it's just like the worst, the worst it got was when I was going downhill. And so I decided not to do it. And so I was hiking all day long by myself, didn't know anybody. And I called them lightning zaps. Like I would just, I'd be walking and all of a sudden I would get an immense pain just shooting through my knee. Mm. Um, so I was struggling with this all day. The, the trail was like overgrown with all these thorns and it was just not an awesome day for me. Um, and I remember meeting up with people that I kind of knew uh, at a water source and they were like, yeah, we're going to hike three miles to this campsite. And everybody was absolutely like, you could tell excited from summiting um, the peak that day. And I was just not in a good place at all. <laughs> and I was looking at all these people and they had like, they had done like this big thing and they were all like excited about it and all of that. And I just remember being like, like this day needs to be done. Like I am, this is bad. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, you know? And so they all kind of, um, they went on and I decided that, uh, I was just going to camp as soon as I could. Uh, I think it was like four thirty or five, which is really early, but I, re- it started getting really windy and cold and there was like a storm coming in. It was just like, I just, again, I was over it. And so I ended up finding this like kind of sort of protected spot, um, to camp. And I put my tent up at probably 5.30, 6 o'clock, and dove into it, ate a little bit for dinner, and I just went to bed. I, I just – it's one of those things, you know, how, like, if you're a kid, if you can't see it, the fear isn't there or, like, the, the bad thing isn't there. I just wanted to go to bed so that maybe the next day it would be better because um, <laughs> I was in so much yeah, pain. It was, it was basically, like, 10 hours of, like, nothing but pain. Oh. And um, so I went to bed, and I – so it was definitely my lowest point. I remember laying there and I was like, I don't know that I'm going to make, make it to Canada. And this is embarrassing because I've only been on trail for a little over a week, you know? Yeah. And uh, I woke up, I felt better. And I ended up having like the most beautiful morning ever. It was insane. It was such a beautiful morning. And uh, they always say like hikers have short-term memories. Um, funny. Cause like, I remember that day as being like a really negative spot, but I like, I barely remember how bad it was. Like it was, it was more just how beautiful the next day was. And, um, I started feeling a lot better like after that, like just with the the injury and whatnot. And so, yeah, it was a bad day, (laughs) but the next day was good. And so it's all good. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. I was just looking at pictures of the Forester Pass ice shoot and it looks pretty sketchy. Yeah, it's funny because it wasn't even that bad um, my year, but still, I mean, like there were there were like pretty deep footprints, and so you kind of knew where to go. Um, yeah. Like I had my ice axe and stuff, but it was not nearly as bad as what they're dealing with this year, for example. Um, Did you carry an ice axe for, like, for a good portion yeah, of that trip through the Sierras? I did carry it through the Sierras because. I was so nervous about exposure. A lot yeah. of people actually ended up sending theirs home. Um, you didn't really need it. I think I used it technically two or three times, um, but you didn't it's probably also a good, really need you know, it. it was nice more... protective weapon to have it in case. Yeah, for bears. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it would stop a bear, but it would give you yeah. like some a little bit of confidence, I guess, to have that as opposed to nothing. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Did you, so one more, I guess we're running on some time here and I could talk to you forever about sure. this trail, which I was is gonna say, incredible. I, I talk about this forever. So um, it's up to you. <laughs> but after doing the trail and the ice axe, bringing that up kind of reminded me of, of this that I've been thinking about. And I was on the AT and I met this guy named Krusty Napkins and he, <laughs> that was his trail name. It's a great. That's a great Krusty, trail name. Krusty Napkins. <laughs> and, um, he was, he was a baller. He was like this little Asian guy. And you could tell, I mean, I felt like he had some, he was a really smart dude, but he kept saying like, do this trail. Like it'll, you'll never be the same again. It'll be for the better mm -hmm. do this trail. And then he started showing me all these amazing things that he had figured out along the way, as far as gear goes. And he was very adamant about not having like, it's a different trail than the PCT. And this is why I'm asking you not having a big hiking boot or anything, but really wearing just like super lightweight, dry, fast trail mm -hmm. runners. And mm -hmm. at the same time he had built this like custom, he took a tarp basically and sewed it in the shape of his body over the pack with a hood. And he just carried mm -hmm. it with him and it covered his whole body and all of his gear whenever it would rain. Um, mm -hmm. Not very insulating, but for the, for the AT, I guess in situations where you're getting monsooned on quite a bit, I could see why that would be a lot more effective than just like a standard rain gear or a pack cover. Mm -hmm. um, are there any things that you figured out along the way, as far as gear goes um, that you think are worth noting, like notable tips that you didn't know before? Hmm. I think I agree with the shoes. Um, I, I wore most people on trail wear trail runners. I was, I started out with ultras. Um, I don't think they were good for, cause I had, I had like foot issues the entire time I was out there. Um, so I went from them and switched to Las Sportiva Wildcats, which I really I wore those for the most part, but, um, I'm all for trail runners. I cannot have a heavy boot. Um, if, especially for a trail, like the PCT where it's, you're not, <laughs> it's not rugged. Like it's, it's for the most part with the exception of a few areas, it's a fairly smooth, like very nice trail. That's, a, um, that's so interesting. I would, these, like, I would have pictured it being really rugged in some areas, but that's good to know. A couple, I mean, in the Sierras, yeah, you, you did hit some super rocky spots and um, I mean, here and there, but for the most part, it really is like this immaculate, ridiculous trail. And it, like, nice. it's, I think it's the perfect trail ever. Um, so there's that. I think, I think the biggest thing I learned is, so I was definitely not what they would say, like ultralight, but I always say that I had, I like I had an ultralight approach, which allowed me to, to carry things that I knew that I needed for some comfort. Um, and so I made sure that like my, my main things were very, very light, which obviously there's a cost to that. But, um, but yeah, I, like, there's nothing really major that I, I will say that I, I guess just doing like absolutely doing your research and getting like very honest with what's important to you. Because the thing that I felt was the most um, impressive, I guess, was that I really got it pretty right in terms of the gear for myself. Um, there was not really anything major that I would have like swapped or hated or anything like that. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, what was the most have, like, used? What was the, I guess everything would have a, a use, but what did you, was there anything in particular that you used the most besides like your stove and, um, um water bags, like a tool of it? I would sort? actually, so my friend, it was one of the guys that I started the trail with. 
he messaged me one day and he was like, hey, do you want me to make you a tie-dyed shema, which is like a scarf thing. I hope I'm saying that right, but it's a scarf thing that like people in the desert countries use. Yeah. You see them a lot. Like yeah. they they kind of wrap them around their heads and, mm-hmm. and um, necks and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, like I see myself using that a lot. And I use that thing in like 10 different ways. It was crazy. <laughs> like I probably use that. It was like I would sit on it um, over my breaks. It was actually, it ended up being a pillowcase for me. I would dunk it in the water when it was really hot and like wrap it all over my, my head and my neck. Um, I used it to tie, to tie my um, umbrella in place so I could hike without um, carrying my umbrella. Like this thing I used for everything. And so it's funny because it was not a thing that I had actually planned on bringing. I just I said yes because it, like he offered to make me one. And I use, I still use it to this day. Like the universe knew that you needed it. Yeah, it's the best. And so I'm actually shocked that I don't don't see more of them on trails. Like you see bandanas and stuff like this, but, um, it's, it's, uh, definitely, I think the thing that I use the most for sure, um, was that part. Yeah. And it's cute. It's very tie dye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I also think it, it was, like a good upgrade. Um, and this is so silly cause it is electronics, but, um, I had earbuds like this, you know, the, the regular Apple like earbuds. Um, and I, it was the one thing that would like make me rageful was that I would get te- like, tangled up all the time. Like I, <laughs> I could not stand it, uh, constantly multiple times a day I was tangled up. Why did you have them just in case trail, you needed would... to like use them for calling or listening to music when you sleep or something? Um, like, I mean, you're walking literally from sun up to sundown. And so I just knew I would probably get a little bit mentally bored. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I made, I had like a rule that I wouldn't really listen to anything until after lunch. Um, but when it got really hot and you were like seriously struggling and, you know, might start going into a bad place mentally, it was just nice to, like, to listen to a podcast or something like that or music. Yeah. Um, so you had your phone with so you? I had it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, and so I switched from those to those AirPods, uh, the Apple AirPods that are wireless that like <laughs> made all the difference <laughs> as ridiculous as it is. Um, so I can see, like I mean, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense because I've got some wireless bows and now when I have to plug them in, it's like, oh my God, there's this cord. It's in the way of everything. So tech- yeah, I can't yeah. get up and walk away and still hear what I'm you know, listening to yeah. it unless I take it out. And or... I, I only listened to one ear at a time. And yeah. so um, that was really helpful too. So that's kind of a ridiculous one, but I would say the most surprising, like most use was that scarf. Um, and that obviously to your point, like you really are, if you're doing it right, um, which I wasn't at first, but if you're doing it right, you are really bringing only necessities. Like there's, everything should have like a, a couple of uses. If not, I mean, a tent, obviously there's one thing that you're using it for, but um, yeah, I, uh, I would say the scarf though is surprising in that I just, I use that thing every day, all day. It was great. <laughs> what was your main resource for like the pack list that you came up with? Did you have any, did you find a, um, I mean, I'm sure they're all over Reddit and I'm sure they're all over mm-hmm. the internet. If you Google PCT, you know, <laughs> pack list. Sure. Do you have I... a favorite site or a resource that you go to? I just watched a ton of YouTube videos um, of yeah, nice. previous hikers. So I followed a lot of 2017 hikers um, and a lot of them who 
who were like very active on it talked about gear. And then I would kind of, so for example, I had the Z-Pax duplex tent. Um, I realized that I wanted, I definitely wanted a tent that was a two person. I didn't want to feel like super claustrophobic. I wanted to be able to sleep with my pack in there, just little things. And so once, if I would find a piece of gear that I thought looked interesting, then I would go down the rabbit hole and watch and read as many, um, you know, videos and uh, reviews of that product as possible. Yeah. So a lot of, it it is tricky. A lot of these um, ultralight products, like cottage companies, you can't just go to REI and check them out. Like it's, it's not that easy. It's all made to order and stuff like that. And so it's a little scary. Like you're taking a a huge, um, a huge gamble unless you can get to something like AT trail days, where I know that a lot of those brands show up and actually have their gear there. Um, And so I just like consumed as much as I possibly could about it. And, um, and that's sort of how I I guess I got my information. I, I really did. I had all the backpacking gear beforehand, but I kind of started from square one because all of my gear was too heavy um, to take for a trip that long. And so it was just a year long of like ordering things, trying it out, returning things. Um, REI is wonderful because of their return policy. So just getting things and really spending a little time with it, um, doing shakedown um, trips and stuff like that. I will say I probably, I did waste some money um kind of having to make some swaps here and there like while i was prepping for everything um but it was i don't know it was important to me to kind of get it all figured out and now that i have it figured out aside from a couple tiny things um i pretty much have my kit solid um that i'm comfortable with and so um yeah but youtube was like the best um resource and just trying to tap into hikers and now that i've done one i have lots of hiker friends who have done like lots of different some of you know i i know some triple crowners i know some people who that was their first hike um, but just slapping information like honest information about um our experiences with different packs and tents and um hacks and stuff like that has been really helpful too amazing was there anything that you missed when you were on the trail from traditional life that you you know didn't have that you were always no. just like that's that's a cool answer <laughs> i didn't know if i always no. wonder if i'd be out there like oh i just really want like home-cooked meals and well you you desire it but then when you get into town and you you get to have that meal it's the best meal you ever had in your yeah. life it's like conscious so it eating makes all of you, a sudden. yeah it makes you way more appreciative of like quote-unquote luxuries yeah. um when I was out there, like I made a lot of my own food. And so I actually ate better than a lot of hikers that I saw. Um, it took a lot of work to do it, but I'm, I'm thankful that I, I'd spent that time, but you still, I remember <laughs> I, uh, I was, I went to Hatchapi, California and I was walking down the street and there was this like steak place and it was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go have steak for lunch. And so I went and I ordered filet mignon for lunch because I was treating myself apparently. And um, I just remember sitting there thinking it was the, the best steak I've ever had in my life, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I, yeah, I really didn't, aside from like the obvious things where, yeah, you're, you're dirtier than you probably ever will get. Um, so you think about a shower a lot, uh, but you also get used to it. Um, and so when you get to have the shower and you get to have that reward, it's, a, it's the best feeling ever um, or that you get to have like pizza or a steak or a hamburger when you're in town. Um, but I didn't really 
miss a whole lot. Like it, it was hard not being around when my niece was born. Um, that was really the only time that I kind of wished that I was somewhere else when I was on trail. Yeah. Um, that was really it though. Uh, everything else, I I was so happy on trail. I don't know. It's very cheesy to say, but I loved it. No, it's not cheesy at all. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's totally, Everybody it, it just makes, it makes so much sense. I mean, mm -hmm. my, my older sister has started taking people out of Nashville area and getting them into the woods that, you know, people that normally would never take a break to even get out for one day. And what it's doing for people just to get into nature for one day has been phenomenal. And the way that they've starting to like reapproach life just from understanding nature for the first time in the most basic way. So doing something this intense and for this long, it really puts you back to the root of what humans mm -hmm. have been and what we were yeah. long before technology. And um, it's a very homey place and it can be super discomfort moving into that. But then once you get over mm -hmm. that, it's all the magic and opportunity in the world. And I'm really yeah. happy that you got to experience that. And thank you for sharing so much with us. And yeah, of course. Well, what, what we also like, didn't even touch on, which I'll touch on very quickly, um, is the whole hiker community. And so what was, I think, what I've taken away way more than probably anything else was family. Just the, the, the people that you meet on trail are some of the best people you will ever meet in your life. And what I love so much about it is conversations don't start about like, what do you do? Like, yeah. what, what's your job? No, nobody talks about that. We barely talk about where you're from. Um, you just, everybody, it's cool. Everybody sort of, you, you all have this common link. And I remember like, I was friends with a, 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 someone who just turned 18 years old on trail. He was hiking by himself to, all the way up to a 72 year old woman who was absolutely crushing it by herself. And, it, I don't know. It was, it, it was really cool just meeting. I mean, I met CEOs. I met um, people who were kind of just like, like lived off of nothing and traveled all the time. Like you meet everybody. Um, and there's no, at least from like what I saw, there's very little judgment. Um, it doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what you believe. We like politics were not discussed. Um, yeah. it was all, you know what I mean? Like, Sounds it was like heaven. It's the best. And like, that's especially something that I've talked about with a lot of people. It's like, how do we bring that vibe into like, quote unquote, I guess you'd call it like off trail life. Um, because it, 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 it was really amazing. And you got to know the person for the person versus like the labels that, um, we sometimes put on each other. And I've never experienced it a little bit in some of the like bluegrass festivals and stuff that I've gone to. I think that's like the closest thing I can connect it to. Um, but yeah, like it was really refreshing and amazing. And I'm friends with people that I probably wouldn't have ever crossed paths with. Um, like we're very different, but they're family to me now. And I think that's, that's a, like another really cool thing about kind of life on trail and stuff like that. So yeah. Authentic relating. Yep. Is, it's like a whole other conversation, a but yeah. Powerful <laughs> thing. And yeah, there's a, yeah. a lot of expansion to be had there. Yeah. Where, yeah. What's your, preferred contact if anybody wants to check you out your online oh yeah gigs. um so instagram is kind of where i spend most of my time um it's the darling dirt bag and then i do have a website i need to actually give it a little more love but that's darlingdirtbag.com. i would say oh, are nice. the two spots that i <laughs> i need to it's ridiculous I, I work on websites for my like actual job and i've not given my own a lot of love so i need to i need to do that <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it sounds like we do a lot of the same stuff. So yeah, we'll meet physically soon in yeah Nomad World. I'll be in Colorado in early July. Well, July 11th through 14th or 15th, I'm going to this uh, kind of breathwork retreat where it's like oh. you do like two or three hours of underwater breathwork per day, and then you do all this. You do conscious eating, which is what you were just talking about. Well, basically, mm-hmm. where you sit in silence and like really embody the food that you're having, and it, a lot of meditative practices. And where's that at? Um. You know, I don't know the name of the town. It's some small town. I could hmm. probably send you the details, but they 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 only take they, it's a bunch of sound baths and stuff like that too. But I will uh, I'll, I'll send you the town if I can find it. Yeah, well, if you're here, you'll have to to reach out. If I'm close, you can say hi. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now that we quarterly know each other via vocal yeah. and not DM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, have fun. Um, I'm sure the adventures are wait. I am going to take my pup outside now and rage with her. Sounds good. Did you this see any great. dogs on the trail, by the way? Um, Sections or? Not very many. There were, I did see, there was one girl who did take her dog southbound. Um, there were very few dogs, like the, with actual through hikers. Um Section hikers, I, I saw it in like a lot of day hikers, but um, very, very, very few. I mean, it's a whole, whole yeah, different I mean, undertaking when you're. Yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah, terrifying yeah. having like the gear, yeah. the food, the responsibility. Yeah, well, it's just not, it's like not about you, it's yeah. about your dog, you know? And so, like, I, it was enough to just have the energy to, to hike the miles that you needed to hike and like crash out every day. I can't imagine having to like not only deal with my own water. But like, you know, water for a pup and stuff like that. And so it's <laughs> yeah, maybe, doable. People Maybe it's much easier on something like the AT too. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed a lot of people with a dogs. Little more, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I know it's doable. Um, it's just a, it's yeah, not Yeah, I was easy. just wondering I if did, you saw any man. I met a guy that had a horse. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I think he made it about halfway, but the horse got injured, unfortunately. So it's pretty balling though. It's like just like the PCT with a horse. I mean, it's an equestrian trail. Uh, yeah. People don't know that. It's, huh. That's why the grades are not not as intense as um, something like the AT. Yeah, so I think it's something like tip. Like I, sh- I shouldn't even like spout stats. I don't know, but I want to say it's like around thirty percent grade. Um, don't don't kill me if that's wrong. But it's it's that's why it's not massively uh, steep in most places because it's technically a graded for equestrian. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. I was yeah. I, not knowing that or before talking to you, I, I would have thought from accounts of people and it's mainly just like the, the woes of the Sierra Nevada that people talk about. I was going to say that's, it's that, steep there. Like the passes, depending on the, the conditions that you have can I, not, I don't want to make it sound like it was a walk in the park, super easy. It's not what it was. Yeah. Um, I just know in comparison to other through hikes that it's not quite as steep as something like the AT or the Teora. Um, in New Zealand, uh, stuff like that, like compared to, and even CDT as well, um, compared to those things, it is not quite as, I guess, steep, um, as some of the other ones, but it's not like, don't, don't think it's like, you know, like this level, nothing. Yeah, I mean, like I'm looking at a chart tough. right now yeah. and it's, it shows that the PCT only 27% of it is greater than a 5% uphill incline or something. Mm-hmm. 
it's kind of interesting. It, yeah, it definitely shows it as the most mild between the C, CDT and the AT. Yeah. AT is the yeah. steepest. Yeah. Because you have some gnarly wonderful. stuff in New England that you have to get through up there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because there's a lot of AT hikers that I met on trail. And it, it's just funny having their perspective because the PCT was my first through hike. Um, and so all of them are always like, oh, this is nothing compared to the, the AT in terms of um, like terrain. And yeah. I, I know that on the AT, it's very regular for you to have like in a mile, a thousand feet gain. And on the PCT, it's not like that very often at all. Um, but yeah, it's also yeah. longer. And you know, there's, there's another, they're, yeah. they're, they're currently shaping a, a new, it's kind of like a parallel trail that runs to the AT. Um, it's, it's being used by people that don't want to be on the extremely populated regular AT mm -hmm. and it has a name. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's... The only one I know that's over there, isn't that like the long trails kind of around there? Uh, but it's not, it's not the length of the AT. I don't know. I, if it's not that. Um, the long I trail I think is up. Yeah. That's a much shorter trail, but no, it's, it's, um, yeah. God, it's going to kill me. Yeah. There's, it, it, it like actually goes all the way from like Georgia to I want to say somewhere at the top of New York or something. It doesn't go all the way to Maine, I don't think. But hmm. it's it's a parallel trail that's like, you know, pretty desolate right now. But they're I'll working have to on check it. That out. Yeah. You should also check out the Hayduke Trail. That's a crazy one. Um through the length of Utah. Um it's actually more of a route. Um and I don't think a lot of people I don't know the true stats on it, but my understanding that is that it's like less than 50 actually finish it. Um, I met several Haiti hikers actually while I was in Utah, which is why I bring it up, but it sounds absolutely crazy and beautiful. And it's like, ab like definitely a, an experience where you are going to be in solitude because there's not a lot of people that even, attempt it. Um, <laughs> and it looks, it looks, ridiculously gorgeous and so maybe one day with with my fear of heights i know utah's a hard place for me because there's so much exposure um so maybe one day if i can figure out that how to how to tackle that but <laughs> yeah it's beautiful yeah i just pulled up a, a long distance trails map in wikipedia and there are a lot of them <laughs> there are a mm -hmm. lot a lot more yeah than I, I mean it's pretty awesome like, great western country has quite a, quite a lot called, yeah oh yeah yep Never even heard of that. I mean, it's massive. <laughs> 4,400 miles. Is that the Great Western? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The North Country Trail is 4,600 miles. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. Well, I think soon for me, I'm going to do the OCT. Um, the Oregon coast trail. Right. Beautiful. Cool. It yeah, seems get out there. much, it's, it's, it seems very feasible with a dog from what I can tell. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take too long and you're kind of like coastal and there's a lot of areas. I just feel like it'd be a good precursor to doing something, but yeah. Cheers to nature awesome. and, and, uh, yeah. Everything that you're doing. I am very inspired and, and I look up to everything that you've done. So thanks for sharing. 
Okay. Well, thank you. This is great. You're not so much of a dirtbag, you know? I'm kind of a dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> There's a place called space and it's got the magic. There's a place called space and it's got the balls. There's a place called space and it's got the passion. There's a place called space where we can smash the walls. There's a place called space where we'll face fuck conformity and the chatter of incompetence is slaughtered at birth. In this place called space, we'll build a factory of smiles that will assemble with our minds and sell to Earth. Well, hello there, toots. My name is Todd, and I'm here to share all of Heathcock's links with you. If you go to heatharmstrong.com forward slash podcast, you can get the show notes for this. And you can get all the things you need to know about Missy Sari Wallace. Um, Heatharmstrong.com forward slash giveaway to enter the giveaways as said pre-show. And then also, if you leave us a review on Amazon for the Sweet Ass Domination deck or the Sweet Ass Journal, if you have either one of those, we'd really appreciate it. We'll donate $2 to the Help International Fund in Uganda, as well as a review for this podcast. And share them with all your family, all your friends, and all of your strag lovers. And you might be asking, what is a strag lover? Well, let me tell you, this has kind of been a... A remarkably underground experience for the past hundred years, but I'm starting to uncover it in my studies. A strag is actually just a straight dude who has sex with other straight dudes. But because they're both heterosexual males, it means that it's not gay. So yeah, um, and we'll, we'll be back in touch soon for episode 23, and... Yeah, if you want to leave a voicemail for the show, HeathArmstrong.com, and just click the little icon on the right, and he'll get back to you. Ta-ta, toots!